Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Speaking for Him podcast. My name is Andrew Gomison. I am, as always, your host, and I'm so grateful that you took the time to spend some time with us this week. I wanted to make a note of something that you're probably already aware of because of the posting last week, and that is that we have changed up the time of the week when our podcast is posted. For many years, uh, we did it on Fridays, and I ran into some difficulties with that with my school schedule, and so I decided uh, to change it to Saturdays um, for the duration of the semester, and then I decided to go to the middle of the week for 2021 because I had been recommended this in the summer, and I did an informal poll over Christmas break and found that the majority of people, or actually all of the people, who responded to my poll, listen to podcasts on the weekdays rather than on the weekends. So we're we're doing the midweek release schedule. So if you can let your friends know that every Wednesday, Lord willing, we will be on the air uh, with a new Speaking for Him podcast found at the Speaking for Him website and on a variety of different podcast carriers, including but not limited to Amazon, uh, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. So we're very grateful to continue to reach you with the important information on how to live a godly Christian life and also how to engage properly in our culture. So with that being said, I'm excited to share with you today what is going on. All right, well, today I want to share with you two different stories that are of significance to me and I think uh, to the culture at large. The first one is dealing with the issue of censorship. Um, over the last couple of days, we've seen um, Donald Trump and other uh, conservative leaders being banned from Twitter. Now, I know a lot of people have different views on this, and as this is a free country, everyone is free to have uh, their own views on this. Um, people have made the case when Donald Trump was banned that Twitter is a private company and they can do what they want with um, their personal accounts. And and I can see that from a certain vantage point. But things have ratcheted up since that happened with um, certain uh, platforms such as Apple and uh, Google Play Store actually eliminating the Parler app, which is an alternative to Twitter, uh, which advertises that they want to be a true free speech platform. So to me, this ratchets it up from just a simple issue of a private company making a decision to a, a company making a decision that influences the ability of others to exercise their freedom. And, I found I found a great piece on this by Tucker Carlson, and I'd like to share that with you now and then have maybe some additional thoughts after that. This is coming from everywhere all of a sudden, and we're going to unpack what we know uh, at this hour. But we do know that over the last 24 hours, Twitter specifically has banned a number of different conservative accounts, not just the president's. At the same time, the Chinese Communist Party, the Ayatollah of Iran, still have their accounts because they're not a threat to the ruling party here. Tonight, a competing social media service, Parler, which we've told you about, is seeing a massive and unprecedented surge in traffic. 
The site even experienced server outage because of new users tonight. Why? A couple of reasons. Mostly this. Parler is a free speech alternative to Twitter. They don't censor you. You can say what you want. The president is on Parler, and that has drawn a lot of people who realize they are being suppressed by Twitter. Parler's succeeding. What happens now? Of course, Silicon Valley is trying to kill it. Google has just removed Parler without any warning from its app store. Apple and Amazon, which provide services that keep Parler, keep services like Parler online, have also threatened to shut Parler down. Amy Peacock, Peacock is the chief policy advisor at Parler, and she joins us. Amy, thanks so much for coming on. This seemed to come out of nowhere. How big a threat to your company is this? I mean, this is very huge because Apple in particular carries our app on the App Store. And as far as I know, technically, there's no other way to deliver it. So if they choose to withdraw their services and hosting us on their store, we're toast there. And, and you know, most people like our app. Our, our app is a, a very nicely functioning a piece of software. And then in terms of Amazon, Amazon is also uh, raising some problems, and I'm not sure how serious that is yet because I've yet to speak with them. I will later today. And, it, they, you know, they provide server for us. And if they were to remove their services, then we'd be down. As it is, we're having, you know, some difficulties now with the uptick in uh, traffic. But if they took their service away, we'd be gone. I mean, there is a huge amount. It's impossible to overstate the amount of filth and political extremism, explicit violence, pornography, whatever, on the Internet. That's what the Internet is. But yes. it's parlor. It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. everywhere. But yes. it's parlor that is being singled out. I mean, it's kind of impossible not to conclude this is political repression. It really, because I think we do have the reputation as being the conservative platform, although we are nonpartisan, that is what everybody sees us as. We do see this as being politically singled out. The other thing is that we are competing with other platforms who have decided that they want to surveil the people on their platform 24-7 without any particularized suspicion. And, you know, on the one hand, people don't like to live in the world of Orwell's 1984. And then on the other hand, a lot of people seem to want to pressure social media to do more to moderate, as they call it, content on their platforms. But that would require 24-hour surveillance. And we don't think that that is consistent with the principles of America. Now, I wanted to bring out a couple specific things. First of all is the fact that, as I said, when you are limiting someone in particular, you can make the case that you're limiting them for inappropriate behavior that they have done on your platform. I totally get it. There have been only a few times, well, maybe one time, but I did have to uh, eliminate someone's comment on my Speaking for Him page because it was vulgar and not in keeping with the... Uh, principles and the high high morals of my ministry. So that does happen. However, I think you need to be careful about how you limit free speech. And I think that, that free speech is one of those things that gets muddled um, in our society today. And one of the things that bothers me the most about this is this idea that you can you can take the president of the United States off your um, off your social media uh, 
apparatus, whether it be Twitter or Facebook, uh, if he violates what you consider your community standards, but you don't take someone off like Kathy Griffin, who holds a bloody Trump head on Instagram. And so I, I think, first of all, I think it needs to cut both ways. If you're going to, if you're going to say Trump incited violence, so we're taking them off our platform, then how do you keep a liberal who, who puts a bloody Trump, severed Trump head on her social media, uh, viable and continuing to distribute content? That's inconsistent. The other thing I want to point out is what Tucker said about child pornography and other filth on the internet. It became very clear to me this summer how easily people's content can be limited on the internet because there were doctors who felt in their heart of hearts that they had viable treatments for the coronavirus that would at the very least limit the scope of the symptoms and perhaps shorten its duration and be better for everyone. These were not accepted by the medical establishment at large. And so the response was not only to remove them from social media platforms and remove all their links, but to literally shut down their website. So the question becomes, if the Internet can shut you down for simply disagreeing with them, what kind of world do we have? And the other aspect is, it is one thing to... As I said, limit one person, the president of the United States or a group of people for doing something that you say is against your community standards. But then when you actually limit a service from your app store or you take it down their servers, which are owned by you, which is the case with Parler because apparently they um, rent server space from Amazon, and so now that is being threatened, you are going to the next level of suppressing free speech because you are saying, in effect, that you have a right to decide who gets to speak and why. Now, I, I truly believe that free speech does not give you the license to say whatever you want, and there should be ramifications if you disparage your employer, you will lose your job. If you say something inappropriate um, in the presence of a child and you're working with children, you will lose your job. That is an understandable consequence of our actions. But if someone is suppressed in their free speech simply because they say something you do not like, that is a problem. Where is the line for you when um, free speech is too censored. As always, I would really be interested in your feedback. If you send me a voicemail and it is pr appropriate, and even if it points out something that I might disagree with you on, as long as it's respectful, I may play it on the show. I want this to be an open discourse. The second story that I want to share with you today is, is a little more lighthearted, and that is yesterday began a new era in the history of the game show Jeopardy. The first part of November, we learned the sad news that Alex Trebek had passed away. 
And at the time of his death, he had 35 episodes of Jeopardy already pre-recorded and ready to go for us to enjoy. And so they began to continue to play those episodes. And when they got down to his last week, with two weeks to go before the beginning of the year, they said, we're going to push these episodes off before the beginning of the year till after the beginning of the year, because the holidays are busy for everyone. And we want Alex's departure to have the best ratings possible. And so this past Friday was his last episode. It was extremely bittersweet, especially when he wished everyone married Christmas. It showed you the passage of time and the fact that he had pre-recorded so many episodes. And so the question was, what would it be like moving forward? Well, last night was the first episode hosted by someone other than Alex Trebek in over 36 years. And Ken Jennings is the first of a series of guest hosts. Uh, My personal hope is that Ken will become the permanent host when all is said and done. But this is what Ken Jennings had to say about stepping in for Alex at this time. Here is the guest host of Jeopardy, Ken Jennings. Thank you, Johnny Gilbert. Thank you, everyone. Welcome to Jeopardy. You know, sharing this stage with Alex Trebek was one of the greatest honors of my life. Not many things in life are perfect, but Alex did this job pretty much perfectly for more than 36 years, and it was even better up close. We were dazzled by his intelligence, his charm, his grace. Really, there's no other word for it. Like all Jeopardy fans, I miss Alex very much, and I thank him for everything he did for all of us. Let's be totally clear. No one will ever replace the great Alex Trebek. But we can honor him by playing the game he loved. Jim, Tanay, Julia, welcome to the show. Now I have to say a couple things about the Ken Jennings choice as the first host and also my desire to see him take over the show. First of all, I think that Ken Jennings really cemented his legacy as the best Jeopardy player of all time when he won the GOAT tournament greatest of all time tournament last year and uh, against James Holtower and Brad Rudder. Um, he beat them and it was just a fun tournament to watch three of the greatest um, people in Jeopardy history duke it out for that kind of win. Not only did he cement his place with that tournament, but he's also just one of the most dominant players in Jeopardy history because he had a 74 game win streak which has not yet been met since he's been on I think he's I think that was in um, the 2004 or 2005 season and when I realized that it was coming close to the time to select a new Jeopardy host I began to think well you know you have to really have someone I believe who has a vested interest in the show And I feel like that's the case with Ken Jennings. Watching him last night was a delight because he was someone who could relate to the contestants having been one for the good part, if not over a full season. And so I really hope that going forward, they make that decision. Now, I think we're supposed to see a few more hosts and I don't know how many uh, episodes 
every guest host gets. My guess at this point would be that they will finish the season, meaning go through, I think, July, and then in their six-week hiatus from July to September, we'll make a decision on a permanent host. So we'll see how that shakes out. Um, and I know I've talked about this before on the show, and it may seem weird to you, but Jeopardy has just been a part of my childhood and my life for a long time. And more than any other, I think this celebrity death has made me think. And so I just want to encourage you to make sure that you're right with God. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. So we want to make sure that whenever God calls us home, we are ready to go into uh, the eternal glory of heaven because there are only two places to go, uh, either heaven or hell. So my prayer for you is that um, this celebrity death, as well as any other deaths that come across your social media feed or even that occur in your life will help you to take stock of your life. The Bible tells us in the Psalms, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And that is in Psalm chapter 90, um, written by Moses, as a matter of fact. So I'd encourage you to look at Psalm 90 today and to keep that in mind. As you know, I like reading, and for several years on this show, we had a regular book club where we would read four books a year and then come on the show and talk about them. I have many great memories of that. I enjoyed doing that with um, Naomi Van Harn. I have decided that, again, this year, as with last year, that I will share with you just a few of my favorite books that I read in 2020. Now, in 2019, I started a habit that I'm carrying over to this year, which is to write down every book that I read so that at any point I can go back and look and say, this is what I've read this year. And it really is an exciting exercise because as I read the titles, I'm able to remember some of the things that I learned through the journey. So today I want to share with you just five of those titles. As with a lot of my lists or my reviews, um, there's a very strict criteria to this, and that is that I want it to be uh, books that you not only would enjoy reading, but books that I think will help you in the long run in your spiritual journey and also engaging your culture for the Lord Jesus. So I really try to have a high standard on what I share on this show, and this book list is no exception. So the first book that I want to share with you is Unplanned. I read this very shortly after the first of the year last year, and it, I, I really enjoyed this book. You know, if you've listened for any length of time, that we featured the movie Unplanned on a previous podcast episode uh, because it was so exciting to see um, Abby Johnson's story come to life on the big screen. Well, that movie was based on the book that Abby wrote unplanned. And the thing I liked about this book was its honesty. You know, 
growing up in a pro-life household and having that um, morality taught to me from a very early age and realizing the humanity of unborn babies from a very early age, I would tend to believe that you come to a place where you you just believe that abortion is wrong and then you stop supporting it. And, you know, people, people may dispute, um, whether you can have nuance within that, but I actually respected the honesty of Abby talking about the journey that it was, because a lot of times for us, when we come to a decision, when we're working through something, it is a journey and it's a little by little thing. And you begin to realize things by turns and a lot of patience and prayer from other people goes into it. And so I really felt that way with Abby's journey. Um, she, you know, she saw that there was, there should have been warning signs along the way. Like one of the early things she says in the movie that I believe is replicated in the book is talking about if you get a job that you're afraid to tell your parents about, it's a good indication that it's not a good job for you. Um, but also, I think this the, the journey that you take on this book shows you that not everything is wrapped up in a bow and all nicely tied together. I think that's one of the points that Abby was trying to make is that everybody's journey is different. And, you know, there's an old Chinese proverb that says the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. So I think you'll really enjoy listening or reading uh, this book about Abby and her journey uh, from being a director of Planned Parenthood to being wholly and ardently pro-life. Uh, and anyone that doubts that just has to look at the change of heart that she had from being someone who was a one and done to someone who at the time of the movie was expecting her eighth child. So one of the things I like about her story was it wasn't just a turn to abortion is wrong. It was a turn to the mindset of I need to value children. And, you know, that's something that I go back to a lot on this show is just the idea that we need to value children. And as we value children, our pro-life stance will be stronger because one of the biggest things that that. Uh, secular people and liberals say to us is that you care about babies up to birth, but you don't care about them after that. And so what really needs to happen is we need to have a total reshaping of our entire worldview when it comes to children. So that is book number one. And book number two is called The Invisibles. Now, this one I found simply by browsing um, my OverDrive audio site on the library. And the, Invisible talk, the Invisibles talks about slaves who worked in the White House and a lot of um, the ins and outs of that. And I liked it because it makes us consider something that happened in our history that we often do not consider or don't want to contemplate. Slavery was a very real part of our history. It was a blemish. It was a stain. It was something that we should not be proud of. But by studying it 
And by thinking about it, we can learn from it. And I think that's something that uh, today's culture it does not do a very good job of embracing in the sense that we would rather cancel out those things and not talk about them than to have a frank and honest discussion and say, this is something that was bad, but this is where we come from that. And deleting history is not a good way to avoid making the mistakes in the future. Would it have been in some ways more pleasant not to read this book? Yes. But having read this book, I have another layer of appreciation for the greatness of God's creation and the fact that he he made all humans equal and every human as amazing as the next one. So I heartily recommend The Invisibles. Now, both of these first two books um, are books that I would recommend uh, primarily for older teens or adult audiences just because of the content. Um, and But I really think that they are important books to read and not to be avoided. All right, my third book is a gargantuan task, but definitely worth it. It seems like every year I set a goal to read as many books as I can. Uh, but that's not necessarily the best thing in the world. Um, because a lot of times I can make the excuse of, oh, I'm just going to read these um, short books so I can go from book to book to book. But John Adams was an, a deeply impactful book, um, which on audio was about... I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 34 to 40 hours, I believe. So it took a long time to do. Probably took me three weeks to get through the whole book. But there was a lot of good information about um, not just John Adams, but about the founding of our entire country. And I really feel like if our current leaders would go back and look at the struggles of our founding fathers and realize what they went through to give us what they gave us, we would be better served as a nation. Benjamin Franklin once said to a lady who was standing outside Constitution Hall, I believe, after the Continental Congress had, had voted for independence, she said, what have you given us, Mr. Franklin? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. So again, this, this is another one of those books, kind of like The Invisibles, where it may contain some history that we're not proud of, but only as we study history that we're not proud of can we hope to learn from the history that we're not proud of, grow from it, and not repeat it. So this is a very important thing for us to consider. All right. Continuing on, the next book that I want to share is Shaken. Now, this book is the second book written by Tim Tebow. His first book was Through My Eyes. Um, that was pretty much a regular biography about him um, rising from being a homeschooled high school football player to uh, being a Heisman Trophy winner in college and then going to the NFL for a brief stint 
uh, with a couple different teams. In the book Shaken, he goes a little further and talks about some principles of, uh, to apply when your life doesn't go the way that you expect it to go. Because we've all had those times when we have a plan for our future and then for whatever reason the door closes and we're not able to do the thing that we wanted to do. So the question is, how do we respond? And I really liked this book because it really talked about how um, Tim went through difficulty, he went through stress, uh, he went through disappointment, but ultimately God allowed him to work through those difficulties and to realize that he had a plan for Tim's life. And fortunately, Tim still has a platform to impact people for the Lord Jesus Christ, um, both as a commentator on ESPN and also as a continuous speaker and as a minor league uh, baseball player. And every platform that Tim has had, he has used it for the glory of God. And I would love to eventually have him on the show. Um, that's, that's one of the things that I aspire to as we continue this podcast is to ratchet up the quality of the interviews and the other content uh, that you get from us here at Speaking for Him. So I appreciate all who are listening. And if you could just pray that some of these people that might be harder to get interviews would respond um, in a positive way so that we can bring you some of that content, I would really appreciate it. And of course, all for the glory of God. So we've looked at four out of the five books. And uh, before we get to the fifth one, I just want to take the time to give you our quote of the day uh, because I didn't get to it earlier. So our quote of the day today is actually from one Napoleon Bonaparte. And Napoleon Bonaparte said of reading, show me a family of readers and I will show you the people who move the world. I really like this quote because it goes along with two other quotes that I think are important to me. And one is, uh, readers are leaders. And the other is that if you choose not to read, you have no advantage over the one who can't. We have the opportunity in reading to discuss and consider ideas in a way that makes us think. I suppose there is a degree of being fed information when you're reading books, um, but I think that it, it causes you to think much more than TV, where it's, it seems much more spoon-fed, the information. Because often if you're reading something, you are like you are likely to go to another book to verify what you read or to in, embellish what you read. So I really appreciate what uh, Napoleon Bonaparte is saying here, that if you want to change the world, read. Uh, this is why a lot of the books on my list have to do with history and um, things like the pro-life movement, moral issues. Because in reading these stories, in reading um, about these issues, it can cause us to realize 
something that is worth more study and can make us uh, more rounded people and better able to make an impact in the marketplace of ideas. Because the reality is that we have ideas floating past us 90 miles an hour, 24-7. So the idea is to wade through those and to look at them through the filter of God's word. Because again, without a definitive moral standard, where are you on any issue? And then to act on them and to make an impact for with others. Because we have a unique opportunity as believers to bring hope to people. Because we know hope. We know what it means to look forward to something beyond this life. But I hope that these books will help us to be good ambassadors while we are here. And then, finally... I have Truly, Madly, Deeply by Karen Kingsbury. Now, interestingly enough, looking at this list, Truly, Madly, Deeply is the only novel. But I I do, by my own admission, um, read a lot of novels. But even in the reading of novels, I try to read um, a lot of books that will challenge me. And one of the authors that does a good job of challenging me is Karen Kingsbury. And in this particular book, Truly Madly Deeply, it deals with one of the characters of her Baxter family series. Now, it's interesting because initially she wrote the Baxter family as a uh, five-book series with Gary Smalley. And I was I was looking up this book truly madly deeply uh, ye- yesterday in preparation for this episode, and I found that it was listed as Baxter Family Book Thirty One. So she keeps writing these books, um, but one of the things I really like about this family is that they're very real, and they de- they deal with things that real families deal with. And the premise of this book is about a, an 18-year-old member of the Baxter family, Tommy Baxter, and his relationship with his girlfriend, Annalise, and how he is madly in love with her and how he sticks by her side through her cancer diagnosis. And I won't give away the ending, but it was a pretty miraculous ending. And so it was just a blessing to me to read this book and an encouragement to me. And I noticed, as I was looking at reviews of this book, that some people criticized it because they didn't think that an 18-year-old would have that perspective on life. And maybe that's largely the case. But is that because 18-year-olds aren't capable of having that perspective on life? Or is that because that's what we've expected of 18-year-olds? I think it would be really refreshing if we had high expectations of 18-year-olds, if we believed that they were capable of having deep and abiding and responsible relationships. So I think that's actually something for us to consider as we as we look at a, a book like this. And I know it's, it's 
probably not a lesson that you thought that I would draw from this. And, and even if, if Karen were to somehow hear this episode, she might not even think of it as the primary lesson of the book because it deals with issues of, um, terminal illness and of dealing with, with proper responses to law enforcement, both of which are very important issues as well. But what resonated with me was that this was a young man who had every reason by popular culture to abandon this young lady and to say, I can't deal with the fact that you have this serious illness, but he didn't. And so that stuck with me because the whole premise of speaking for him is encouraging people to walk closer with the Lord Jesus Christ and to have a maturity about them that the world doesn't expect. Remember when the disciples were testifying for Jesus after the resurrection, the people marveled because these were fishermen. And yet they were testifying of the almighty mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus. But the difference was that they had been with Jesus. So Jesus should make a difference in the way that we process things and in the way that we uh, deal with them. And Timothy said, let no man despise your youth. And so for, for those reasons, Truly Madly Deeply was a very good read for me, and I really encourage you to pick it up and read it. All of Karen's books are good, but this year, Truly Madly Deeply really was a book that I resonated with and and got some hope from. So I really hope that you have enjoyed this episode. Um, as always, please give feedback and let me know what you think. What are you reading um, in uh, 2021? Or what have you read in the past year that would benefit us? I hope you have a wonderful week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.